0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Little Life and welcome to episode number seven of the Simple Little Life podcast. I've got a very special guest today, a gentleman that uh, I've known about for I think 2017, as, uh, so a few years now, Mr. Bob Rankin. Bob, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So I think I first met you is uh well met air quotes is July of 2017. I think you had sent in an uh, an email for some viewers' knives.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. And that, you know that I actually started in 2017. So I was pretty excited about that. I learned a lot from your channel. Um, so it was nice to to meet you, again, air quotes.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you had sent those uh, knife pictures, you were already at that point, I think that was your, the third, fourth and fifth knife you had ever made. But at that point you were already making your own Damascus. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> actually I'm a welder by trade. So it, uh, I was interested in making Damascus as another form of welding. So yeah. I started making Damascus first, then I had to figure out how to make knives after.
0: That's crazy. So then was it like, so you started with the Damascus and, and was it your intent to do it or do you just want to learn the Damascus for the sake of that type of welding?
1: I think it was a little bit of both, you know, of course I started watching Forged in Fire and then I found Alex Steele's channel on YouTube and one day I'd said, I'm going to make a forge and it kind of snowballed from there.
0: That's crazy. And then, um. So how, like, basically when you started your, your billets, were those intended to be for your knives? Like yeah, the first knife you ever made, was that out of Damascus?
1: Yes. Yes, it wow, was. Wow.
0: That is so cool.
1: It was like but, seven layers of hand forged Damascus. I finally got to stick by hand. And after that I decided, you know, I need to build a press and speed this okay. along yeah. a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'd like to get to all your equipment because you got some, uh, some, your press there, particularly you made that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I built that. Yep. It's, okay. I, I've actually built it twice. I built the frame twice.
0: Wow. And, um, so what type of pressure are you using? Like, you know, you obviously set it up with a hydraulic ram and then a pump and stuff. What well, would you say it's rated for?
1: I've never put a gauge on it cause it didn't matter. Yeah. So, but it, according to the parts and this ram and the pump and everything it should be about 24 tons.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. That's pretty decent. Cause I've seen you squish some pretty decent blocks down.
1: Yeah, when they're big like that, they squish pretty easy. It's when you're thinning them out towards the end is where you really need the pressure to to get it thinner. Oh, really? Because it heat so fast. Yeah.
0: Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's cool. And then your forge—that is quite the thing. You built that yourself as well, right?
1: That was the first thing I built, and I, I'm still using the same forge I started with. I've relined it a couple times, different ways, but yeah, yeah, it's been a work in progress.
0: That's cool. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because that's not when I build my forge is like a propane tank and I literally just have, you know, one little burner coming in. But yours is a forced air, if I'm correct?
1: No, it's it's a it's a draft, it's a churia okay. forge, but I have it hooked to uh PID. Yep. So I can control the heat. I can know what the heat is with a thermocouple inside of it. And uh it's hooked I have a, a pilot setting where it runs on really low pressure, and then when it needs heat, it turns on, opens the solenoid and it uh, oh, okay. gives us some more heat so, so it's like, like then little... you get the full pressure
0: yeah and so you set up a little cool, like, is like a little arduino or a little, like a little i just use the tire. Inkbird pid oh, okay
1: in a solid state relay yep so
0: that is cool
1: it's basically what all the kilns and stuff run on is basically just a pid
0: oh, okay that's cool and then how long uh like how long did it take you to build that
1: uh, you know, at first it didn't take long. I, I, I think I'm on my third iteration of burners, you know, just trying to think of different ways to improve it along the way. So it's been a work in progress, to be honest with you. I, I really haven't kept track of my time as far as that goes. As far as the plumbing with that PID, it's that's easy to do. It doesn't take long at
0: all. Really? Yeah. That's cool. That is only so Cause you know, I think one of the reasons that I don't do more forging is that my, my forge doesn't get hot enough. And it's just, you know, even, I mean, I've got it insulated really well. I know that's kind of a big part of the forge, just trying to hold that heat that you're creating. But just the way that, I mean, I did mine as, as easy and cheap as I could. I literally, it was kind of like a one day thing. It's like, I want this thing blowing fire at the end of the day. So I kind of rushed it. But I, I think one thing I noticed, like, especially if I'm using something like a harder steel, like a one or something, I can leave it in there for, it doesn't matter how long I leave it in it gets up to kind of a yellow, maybe not quite a bright yellow, but it never goes above that. Maybe orange is yellow, and, so, and it doesn't matter where I put it, put it right under the flame, and uh, that's one thing I would like to upgrade soon is, is figure out something else for a forge.
1: Well, your forge will probably be okay. It's not so much the forge as it is the burner. Oh, okay. You just have to put more gas in there. It runs more gas. I, I have to run 100-pound tanks in order to not freeze them.
0: So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: And, you know, there's forced air argument compared to Venturi. I don't know how much the gas savings would actually be. I, I've never experimented with it because they look at pressure, but that's not, it's not really a fair equivalent. Like I'm running 19 PSI, 18 PSI through like a 045 orifice compared to a three 8 at two for yeah. a lot of the ribbon burners. So I'm not sure how much gas difference there actually would be.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha.
1: But that, the higher the Venturi's you run the pressure the more air it draws in also. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. What would you say the in- interior volume of your forge is like, is it pretty decent cavity in there or
1: it's 14 by seven by seven or eight, something like that. Oh, so okay. it's pretty good size. And then I have two inches, uh, around this walls and top of a uh, castellate 30 and two inches on the bottom. And then I think I have on the bottom, I might have two inches of insole wool also. Cause I started with wool, and then I had, to, in order to get bigger bullets, I had opened it back up to, you know, oh, okay. So
0: that's cool. Right on. What other, uh, what other equipment have you made for your shop?
1: So I, I built my forge first second. I built my two by 72, my first one. Yep. And that one's gone through quite an evolution of its own. You know, it started with a half horse pulley drive and now it's at a two horse direct drive, you know, oh, Okay. Yep. Yeah, basically a KNG ripoff, you know, kind of.
0: Yeah. And you and made then, the whole thing yourself.
1: Yeah. I had a built the tube and everything out of flat stock. And, you know,
0: yep. I had
1: to figure out something. I didn't have the funds to go buy one right away. Yeah. And I really didn't know what I wanted. Um, and, and then I learned the hard way, like for bandsaws, my bandsaw was a craftsman bandsaw, okay. but it wouldn't go slow enough to cut steel. So I ended ah. up having to tear the motor off that and put a, uh, VFD drive on that and all that. So, oh wow. and I built my press and. All the little stuff around, along the way, like uh, um, anvil stands and little tools here and there.
2: Yeah. So On oh, my toaster
1: do oven. You... I put a PID on my toaster oven also so I can keep within a degree for tempering and for Kydex and for curing cactus juice and stuff like that.
2: Really? Wow.
1: Yeah, I tore it all apart, packed it with kale wool, put a PID oh, wow. in it, and so it holds good temperature.
0: That's That's a smart move right there. So, how, how much is a, say if I wanted to do that, like I've got a toaster oven and every, you know, we all kind of know the problem is they, they way overshoot the temperature and it just shuts the element off and then it cools down. And then once it's, a, you know, maybe 10 or 20 degrees below, then it kicks on and it's just really loose, right? So, what would it cost in, in materials, say like on eBay or wherever you buy this stuff, if I wanted to upgrade my toaster oven, do you think?
1: I think 30 or 40 bucks maybe. Really? Yeah, the Inkbird PIDs on Amazon are cheap, and then you get the thermocouple with it. You get the SSR, the solid-state relay, and the okay. PID. Yep. And then the thing with those people have to understand is that at first, they'll go way over temperature, and then they'll go way under temperature. you got to let them run for a while to kind of figure out what it anticipates is how they work, and that's how they hold temperature. So if you let it run for an hour, then it kind of learns on its own where the temperature is.
0: Okay, and that's the PID that's learning that.
1: Yep, yep. Oh,
0: okay, that's cool.
1: See, I took and all the guts right out of that thing, and the, the solid-state relay is wired right to the elements, and that's the only thing left is the elements.
0: Oh, wow. So That's cool. And then that the K.O. wool is a, a strong move too, right? Because obviously it's going to help right. everything. It holds the I've, heat
1: in. It retains some heat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking I I might seriously do that because I bought a when, – when I bought my K.O. wool for my forge, I had to buy, like, a big, huge roll, like a box – And I I think I've got 20 or 30 feet of this stuff by 2 feet wide that I'm like, that's actually a good idea. I might have to look into that.
1: Now, when you put that in your forge, you you put a satanite or something over top of it, right to seal it?
0: Yeah. I just bought... I went and got some just for like lining a fireplace some just a right. hardware store some those some fibers fireplace.
1: can be really bad for you yeah
0: yeah i remember <laughs> i remember when i was building it and i said i was going to use that ceramic or kale or whatever i had a lot of people comment to make sure you cover that up and right. yeah that's you can see that even when i was cutting it out i mean i put my respirator on and um yeah so much of the stuff that we do <laughs> it could be pretty nasty you know if we're not careful well, I think um, you're
1: from an industry background. I've been yep. in the trades for 25 years, so we kind of see how that works. But if you take somebody from an office, they really wouldn't understand. And you start forcing air into one of those forges, and they will blow those fibers out everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. And even stuff like, you know, like I mean, I worked on mostly a fab shop for a lot of it, and it, a fairly light-duty fabrication. And then when I was working at a company called Sangel, we were doing like oil-filled equipment. And then it was heavy duty, right? Like, I mean, we had, I don't know, I used to work on these these frack units and they had these, hor- these, uh, or they called them horsepower. And the engine was a, was, a, was a Caterpillar. I forget the model, but it was a V10, but it was, a, the engine was the size of my minivan. And it was so much fun. You put that on these big, heavy trailers and then, you know, it's basically just an engine and then a drive shaft that's probably like 10 feet long and this pump, and this pump will pump, I think we can go up to like 20,000 PSI, but when we get these things rolling, these, these semi-trailers, it looks like a wet noodle. Like you're standing <laughs> on it, you're on the fenders, and you're just bumping up. And it's incredible, the power. And even you can feel, when you breathe, you can just feel, oh, when we're at full load testing, it's amazing. But, and, and so that was like a totally different, obviously, experience. But one thing I really noticed there was uh, we were, ended up doing a lot of testing with like sand. And I never even really knew about the dangers of silica. You know. Right and it's incredible we all had to do like our safety orientation on it and stuff and then when i go to like to local hardware store and buy like a sandblast cabinet i mean it's got a little tiny label on the bottom but i'm kind of terrified when i'm using that thing right i'm like oh like i've I've done this proper courses on it and it's it's kind of crazy when you think about some of you know going to like harbor freight or a princess auto and like you say somebody who isn't from an industrial background says hey i'm going to pick up this hobby it's incredible how how little of the safety knowledge kind of just goes with those consumer uh, directed products, you know?
1: Well, even uh, welding, a lot of MIG welding has silica put in the wire to help it lay a smoother bead. Oh really? Yeah. And so you have chromium and welding smoke and it, there's a lot of things in, involved with that, that people don't really understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're a welder by trade?
1: Uh, yeah. I was a, pipe fitter welder for 10 years and now I work in a power plant and I'm a maintenance guy in a power plant. I've been there for 15 years. Oh, okay. Qualified, certified welder, whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody calls it something different.
0: Yeah. So what kind of stuff do you do on a day-to-day basis?
1: I do everything from boiler repair to uh, coal and handling, chute repair, uh, fabrication for handrails, stuff like that. That's cool. Pipe fitting. I do uh, fire systems and a little bit of everything
0: yeah those are the fun jobs aren't they
1: yeah well they I hired in as a welder and that was my primary job and then they changed our job description so they combined pipe fitter iron worker and welder into one trade so we oh, to okay. do a little bit of everything
0: yeah right on how big is the plant like is that a huge facility you work at or
1: yeah it's a it's a big old plant I think uh, right now we have four units that run but at the, at the, in its heyday it had seven units so oh, okay it was a base load coal-fired power plant
0: wow that's cool right on and then um so your your knife making you do a lot of damascus yes um and and a lot of knives is it mostly like the weekend thing for you
1: it's kind of whenever i get a chance and um when i'm motivated yeah you know? so i try to i try to fit it in as much as i can
0: yeah what uh where do you see you said when you're motivated? Is it maybe like an idea, or sometimes when you you see like a pattern you want to try, is that where the motivation comes? Or
1: no, it's usually if orders start to stack up, that's oh, when okay. I get really motivated. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, or if uh, I my website's empty, I don't have anything on it at all, that type yep. of thing. Gotcha. Or, or when I have something I really want, just feel like doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, do you what do you do more? Uh, Damascus. Billets for other folks or knives? Finish you knives. know,
1: it, it varies. I would say I probably do more for myself. What I do is I'll, I'll take some orders that I'll make for other people while I'm forging my own stuff, but I don't want that to take away from mine. So I try not to get too carried away with that.
0: Yeah. Cause your knives have, uh, it's interesting looking at the knives that you sent in for viewers' knives. And then now, I mean, you're doing some real, like integral, integral bolster chefs' knives and stuff like that.
1: Well, I think that was originally kind of where I wanted to go. When you look at guys like Morocco, the quality of their work, and that was my goal. Yeah, you had to learn somewhere, you know.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's it's interesting because do you find do you find it's sort of I, I guess it's kind of an odd way to say it, but do you find knife making kind of easy almost
1: um i think that you could consider it easy but there's so many different things to learn that it's always interesting
2: yeah yeah
1: i you know,
0: agree
2: I,
1: I think that a lot of things i had never i didn't think i would enjoy with knife making i truly find enjoyable yeah you know, the tedious parts of it
0: oh really
2: yeah i, like I think
1: that the attention to detail like the hand sanding and stuff i actually started to enjoy that because of the what you get in the end
2: yeah yeah,
1: I'd kind of decided I wanted to make less knives, but more uh, higher quality knives from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. Um, you know, it's interesting because you know you put stuff up, like like for me, I put stuff on YouTube, or, and a lot of people were like, "Oh wow i I wish I could learn to do that." And I, I'd, maybe it's just the type of a person, but. I mean, obviously my first knife looks terrible. My second knife was not quite as bad and everyone gets a little better, but there's almost a point where it's easy. Not, well, not easy, but it's understandable, right? It's like, okay, you make one and you see all the mistakes and you just know, okay, for next time I need to switch this up or I need to change it here. So like, I, I'm, I, it seems that you're kind of on that same path because I mean, you're doing some incredible work.
1: But I fumble through every one. That's what people don't understand because yeah. if it gets easy for me, I push myself to try something different next time to make it a little harder. Yeah. So I feel like if I'm not struggling a little bit, I'm not ever learning anything new and I have that ability to do that cause it's not my full-time job. So if it takes me a while to figure something out, I can do that and I can put it to the side and then take care of little things here and there. But if, I, I kind of want to struggle through it every build try to come up with the best that i can build at that time.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense and then um you know, i i think what you said there is true. So many people always want a quick tip. You know, like uh, so many things, hey, any tips for grinding better bevels? <laughs> and and i always I always say, you know what? I apologize. This isn't what you want to hear, but just grind more bevels. Well, I and think, i watch your a,
1: videos. Watching yeah. people do it can help. That's um, true. But like you say just Honestly, the quickest tip for grinding, I would say, is to turn down your your get a VFD, turn down your speed, and if you're not confident right then, hand sand longer. That's my biggest tip.
0: You know, and that's true. Like the VFD on a grinder, that was such a game changer. I'd, you, I I remember getting one, and some people are like, oh yeah, you know they're they're amazing and stuff, and some people are like, oh you don't need one. I, I remember one knife maker I really admire. He said, oh I'll never ever buy a VFD. They're completely a waste of money and he i still really he does amazing work and i was like ah and he really kind of got me thinking like well maybe i don't need to buy one and I ended up getting one anyways and it is unbelievable especially for the finishing grits right like when you've got your bevels roughed in and a lot of times when you're just trying to chase that final cutting edge and just being able to go slow you know one pass can it's amazing when you because you can obviously slow your grind down you know if you're if you're whiz banging at 100 percent you know, if you stay in one spot, you're going to overheat or you're just going to grind way too much right there. Whereas, you know, you slow your grinder down and the actual pass from when you start and drag the knife across the platen, you can slow that down so much too without, you know, without heat or without uneven. And so it's so nice to be able to just slow every, I would say absolutely one of the biggest um, things that improved my my finished grinds were the VFD. I,
1: I would definitely agree with that. I mean, some of the best knife—probably the best knife maker in the world I've seen so far. Kyle Royos doesn't use one, but—that's
0: um, the guy that does those crazy, intricate stuff, right?
1: Yes, uh, his work is—I seen his uh, sword and his dagger at Blade Show, and it was—I've never seen anything, anything like it. It's, it's, it was on—and un- the neat part about that was watching the build from start to finish, from the, when he started the billet to finish, it and then seeing it in person, and it—it yeah. it was amazing.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because his is like that's super intricate stuff, right?
1: Yeah, he does all the inlaid gold and blue yeah. fittings and all that stuff. It's just stunning.
0: You know, what's funny is when I got into knife making, I th- I thought those types of knives were really terrible. I, they're gaudy to me. Like I, I, from a style perspective, they don't speak to me. But once I started learning to make knives and, and even you start to do something little when you realize how much work it is and the amount of skill, even just say you make a very simple hunting knife, full tang, to finish it well, you know, as you progress and you get to the point where it's like, wow, this actually takes a lot of skill to be able to do this. And it wasn't until I kind of realized that and started making knives that I actually appreciated some of these really, you know, they've got like all these ornamental work and it's it's like jewelry basically, right?
1: It is. It's definitely like jewelry. And, and when you first learned a, just a finish a handle and you realize the work that goes into that and then you see something like one of those guys make or to hand sand a blade properly it's 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 astounding how yeah. talented some people really are
2: yeah
0: yeah that's crazy he has a youtube channel does he yes he does yep. okay i think because i i remember seeing him once on instagram or something like that and i gotta i gotta chase down that rabbit hole and, and take a look at more of his work because yeah, yeah i've they... seen a few pictures and he's a guy who's, he's bald right yep Yep. Yeah, crazy ball and then guy. And then his
1: dad's in the workshop making knives also, and his brother does all his videography and editing. They, okay. they, they're doing a pretty good job on the channel.
0: Yeah, right on. I'm going to definitely look that up. Um, and so recently you picked up a, you got a new grinder. I think we have the same grinder.
1: Yeah, I think that was the first tool that I got before you did.
0: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I watched it. Well, you're the reason I have a Wicked Edge and a Fordham and all that stuff because of your tool time Tuesdays and all that. So Yeah, I decided to go with that Black Fox Knife Works grinder because I like supporting small businesses, yep. for one. And I thought it was a very clever design. Thaddeus yep. really did a nice job and, and thought out the, the design of that.
0: Yeah. I'd actually would like to have him on the podcast because um, in, in going back and forth with him a bit, I don't know. Like, So I've got the KMG, the original one. Um, I had a homemade one, but I ended up, getting rid of that because it was just a little treadmill motor and it was starting to get I started to get a lot of metal dust in there and stuff but going from the KMG to uh the Black Fox one I don't know what it is but I just there's something about that Black Fox that just seems to work better it's
1: probably because it's direct drive
0: yeah I know I I converted mine to a direct drive oh
1: that's right because I kind of did the same thing to mine after you've done that
0: yeah Um, And I was asking Thaddeus about it. I said, what is it? And he had some very interesting design principles. I I, I don't want to quote what he had said, but the way that he approached the grinder was right from the get go. He had one principle. And I I think it was something like I I might be misquoting him, but basically everything was designed off of a single point of reference or something like that. And it was kind of interesting because when I build stuff, it's not like that at all. I mean, <laughs> if I'm going to build something, I'm like, okay, I need this tube and I'll weld legs to it. And I'm like, oh, I want to put something off of this side of it. And so I just, um, but when he said, when he set out from the very beginning of every one of his, it's designed from a single point and everything has to, I don't know. but um, I think he I, yeah, designs find that,
1: food processing equipment, doesn't he? Isn't he an yeah, engineer for that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's definitely got that um, engineering side. You know, there's always the difference between practical and engineering and you know, there's some people that do a lot of engineering that don't understand the physical world. Right. And I'm, I, we all have that experience, right? You get drawings from the office and they say, Hey, put this on here. And it's like, well, it won't work there. It's like, well, oh, yeah, it does. Look at, it. and it's like, well, come here, look at this physical thing. You know, this isn't going to work. And that's not the case for all of them. There are some engineers that have that. I, I always said, um, if I was, I was wanted to become an engineer, but I thought if I was going to do that, I would like to get a trade first because I've worked with some engineers, that have a trade they're a welder or a pipe fitter in 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 the oil and gas industry and then they got into engineering and those guys are good right. because they know what it's like in in the real physical space and you know they'll find everything in the office so like no this this looks good on paper but i'm pretty sure we've got something else in the way there you know
1: right most of the engineers i've dealt with they'll come out and draw it after you build it yeah. Put it yeah. in the blueprints. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you can do that when you've got good fabricators. Right? right. And that's the other thing is you can have some, some tradesmen, welders, fitters, fabricators, millwrights that are incredible engineers. I mean, they don't have the ticket behind their name. Um, it's funny in Canada, all the engineers get a, a pinky ring. Really? Um, yeah. So if you become a, uh, an engineer, it has to do with there's a bridge that was built somewhere in Ontario and they built this huge, it's like a car bridge, passenger car bridge or something, and it ended up failing, and it was due to poor engineering. And it was some catastrophe. Know, 30 or 50 people died. I don't know when it was. I think it was like nine, early 1900s or something. And basically what they've done is when you graduate as, a, as an engineer in Canada, you get a little ring, and it's, it's a little pinky ring. It's very thin. And it's all, it looks hammer marked almost, but they still say that that ring, everyone that gets one, that's a steal from that bridge, well, they salvage sense. it, And it's a reminder that how important, you know, your decisions are like this bridge failed, people died because the engineers didn't do their job properly. So it's kind of an interesting thing, um, you know, to put that, it's kind of like a reminder of an epic failure. But then also, you know, what they're doing, a lot of engineering stuff can have that type of weight to it. You it know, can.
1: the best engineers I've dealt with are the ones that listen. Yeah. When you look at their blueprint or their idea and you tell them that's not going to work. There's no way possible for that to work. And if they, if they listen to you, then they, they learn, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting field for sure. But yeah, if you're ever in Canada, if you, you see them all the time, you'll see people just out, if they got a little ring on their pinky, you'll know that they're an engineer.
1: That's a pretty neat story.
0: Yeah. It's kind of cool.
1: Back to the black Fox, I work out of my garage, so I'm limited on space. Cause in the winter we still park in the garage. So I push everything to the sides and I needed something small and, and the, his grinder takes up a very small profile and with that uh, tilting works really well, works very well.
0: Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. See, I, I got it and it was kind of my intent that I was going to use the KMG. Um, cause previously I had the KMG on like a base that was hinged. So it right. didn't like articulate nicely, but I could literally just kind of flop the thing on its side and it worked perfectly good. Um, uh, but then when I got the black Fox, my plan was going to be the KMG would just be for grinding knives. And then put a glass platen on there, leave it dedicated vertical, pretty much only ceramic belts on there, and and then I'll just use the Black Fox for intricate stuff, for any times when I need small wheels or something like that. And I find I didn't want to grind knives on it because I I think it's a little harder on grinders. I mean, when you're grinding knives for you know even like four to six hours a day, you do it all week long. It's it's amazing how your you know your wheels wear out, and you can just it's a machine, right? It's right. gonna it's gonna break down eventually. Um, but I started grinding a couple knives on the black Fox and I'm like, oh man, I kind of just want to keep grinding on just this one. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I do use my KMG, but I use my black Fox way more than I thought. I was kind of going to save that for like the wood handles and right. the nice kind of a little bit more delicate stuff. But, uh, yeah, nice, nice big platen on there. And
1: now all I use my, my other grinder for is basically when I put a small wheel attachment so I can walk from one grinder to the other, yeah. you know, so you don't have to switch right in the middle of shaping a handle or something like that.
0: Yeah, that is nice, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that that is really nice. I could probably have about 6 of them. That'd be just about right. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what I think too. Like if you could have like a whole bunch of grinders and a whole bunch of drill presses. You know, right. just down one wall have like you say 6 grinders and then 6 drill <laughs> presses. I think my production would be just through the roof. It'd be wonderful. Right. Yeah, yeah, have all the
1: different grits you need and just switch to the next
2: grinder.
0: <laughs> yeah. Blip blip blip. That'd be fun stuff. Yeah, it's always, a, always kind of a balance, too. Like, I, I'm the same thing. I work in my garage, and um, it's kind of crazy. We have just, like, one. Uh, my wife has always said, if you want, you can, you know, just kick the van or minivan outside. But I I like it. I mean, I don't know how cold your winters are. I know Michigan, you guys get winter, right?
1: Yeah, we get winter for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, you guys, I think you get a lot more snow than we do.
1: We get a lot of snow some winters, and I don't like scraping windshields, so. yeah. It keeps me honest too. I have to clean my garage. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I have to clean up after myself. I have, I spend, I think I spend more time vacuuming the garage floor because I don't like to kick up dust it's connected to the house. Yeah. So I think I do spend more time vacuuming than making knives sometimes. That's
0: funny. You and I are the exact same like that. My wife always makes fun of me. She's like, I, I, I think I vacuum my garage more than we vacuum our house. Right. <laughs> I'm always, every day I get the vacuum up and I'm like, <laughs> that's a lot better a lot. than sweeping. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And not the dust anywhere, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm the same. Like, like I want my vehicle in the garage. So I work out of the, we got a double garage. So we park all year long, we park in the, the one side. Um, but yeah. And it's crazy because sometimes we'll get like, I don't know, well, minus 40 Celsius and Fahrenheit are even right. Um, we, not every year we'll get down to that cold, but we usually get to like minus 30 or something. And like this year I lost two batteries in my truck cause they got so cold, they explode, like they crack expand oh, wow. and crack you know and so that's one of the reasons why it's like <laughs> we're gonna leave our vehicle our van in the in the garage it's nice but um that's the nice thing with knife making is that you don't need a whole lot of space
1: no um, no some of the amazing makers like uh i think nico nicolades he works out of a shed still yeah so, yeah uh, Noah Vashon just added to his shed yeah you know, he did
0: so um, there's a point where like, I mean, we're working in the sea can when the, in the shipping container where I started, I love that. I almost, I would prefer to do that, but, and I guess maybe I just haven't really looked, made a a hard decision about it yet, but in the summertime, it's so hot. Like right. <laughs> I used to stick a sprinkler on the roof just cause of the evaporation. Like it'll, it'll be like 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is. probably like a hundred, maybe 95, hundred Fahrenheit and it's. I mean, when you got to make knives every day, it's your job. That's brutal, right? Well, Especially. You, just, you just have <laughs> to insulate Canadian. it and air
1: condition it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I have air conditioner in my garage. So oh, when do you? Yeah. Foraging. Yeah, I'll yeah. shut the doors and cool it. It's, it's, oh, it's right drywall and insulated. So I'm not going to sweat that much if I don't have to.
0: Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, we don't get quite that warm like, um, in the summertime. Like ours is insulated as well. And as long as I keep, like, I can crack a window, but. It doesn't get, the only time my garage gets hot is if my wife brings a van in after being in the city. Right. And <laughs> it's like, because I can keep my garage nice and cool, like probably like 60s, 65 oh, all day long. Yeah. But um, the shipping container was amazing uh, because of the one thing is kind of isolated, right? So right. I didn't worry about dust and grindies and stuff. And I, I didn't vacuum that nearly as much as I do my garage now because being attached to the house, you know, you don't want to, don't want to walk in, go in for lunch and bring a whole bunch of grinding dust with you.
1: Well, I give my wife a lot of credit after seeing her face the first time I lit the forge, you know, (laughs) and she's been patient and uh, it's it's funny. You tell somebody that I'm going to start making knives and they look at you like you're crazy. They just don't understand it. Yeah. You know, so she's been patient and she's worked through her fears of the forge and all that. So it's been good.
0: Yeah. Have you made her any knives to use or?
1: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I made her a uh, one of my pocket EDCs, right at the beginning, because she had to have the this certain handle scale I had. She she gets a kick out of helping me pick out handles for different knives and color combinations with G10 and stuff like that. So that's been one of my most popular knives, is my pocket EDC. I I had a leftover chunk of billet from a knife I made for my son who's in the Navy, so I had made one for myself. Well, then people tend to like that one, so I I've, I've replicated that one quite a bit. That's yeah. the one I made for her. She she had to have one, so.
0: That's cool. That's cool. So your son's in the Navy. Yes. Yep. That's cool. Yep. How is that as a, as a father, like I have two boys that both want to join the air force and it's, it's, it I like, when I think about it, I'm like, I love it. It's great. But then it's all, there's also like, oh, are you, you sure? You know what I mean?
1: Well, with my son, I, I definitely supported him. I took him to, we talked to the recruiter, um, both my kids, I, I encouraged both of them when they were in high school to take a, um, a trades program. So mm-hmm. we have vocational training for junior and senior year in our county where uh, my son took welding, my daughter took cosmetology, so she graduated last year with a cosmetology license. Okay. My son, he took two years of welding, and he decided he wanted to move out, and he wanted to do his own thing. So we went and talked to the recruiter, and he he told the recruiter he wanted to weld for the Navy. So I'm not sure how the Canadian Armed Forces work, but they they take what's called an ASFab, which is uh, a test that kind of shows your strong suits, right, where you can go. And his recruiter came back after the practice one. He said, you know, listen, if you want to weld for the Navy, that's no problem. We can do that for you. But I can pretty much offer you any program that we have to offer because he was a pretty bright kid. He didn't really like school, but he he did pretty good, and he was pretty well-rounded. So he ended up in the Navy nuclear program as a electronic technician so oh wow Yep. so he's doing well. that's cool but as far as your question about you worry about him, you miss him a lot because they don't get home a lot um yeah but at the same time he's living his best life doing what he wants to do and uh he's gonna get out of the navy after i think probably eight years or so because he re-enlisted once and um with a trade and with ability to find a job
0: yeah and that's that's a huge thing too um because my, my son's looking at He's in grade 11. Um, and so grade 11 grade 10 is terrible. <laughs> um, and so he's kind of looking at that road, and my wife and I are kind of looking at the options. It's amazing, like you say, there's opportunities, right? Well, it can't um,
1: hurt to talk to him is what I tell everybody. Um, I would recommend a parent go with their child to the recruiter because yep. not – we my son had a fantastic recruiter he's an excellent human being but i've heard horror stories of people having bad recruiters right Oh, really? and, and fibbing to them and not telling them the truth and i can't oh, wow. i can't speak to that i had a great experience with my son but i would say go with your kids and cuz at 17 18 19 they don't know the questions to ask yeah they just listen so if you yeah. ask a few questions then that definitely helps
0: yeah yeah for sure cuz we um like my boys are in the Air Cadet program, and so it's kind of it's a, it's through the the Canadian Department of Defense, and so they get some a little bit kind of a little information, kind of looking into that, and then you have access to other people to kind of talk about it further. So they've they've done a little bit of talking. My wife and I have done a little looking into it and stuff. Um, they both want to be Air Force pilots, like fighter jet pilots, <laughs> and that's pretty. Uh, you know, you got to have a lot of stuff. You got to work hard, and even then. I think, in, like, for the Canadian Armed Forces, you have to have perfect vision. Right. Like, if you have any, like, degradation in your eyesight at all, and so right now both my boys do, and so they're, like, <laughs> keep holding on to that. But Right. Um, and even more than that, uh, my my second son, he might want to become, like, an aircraft mechanic, um, which I think is great, and I, I think probably more attainable than a fighter pilot. Um,
1: Maybe it depends on how they test and, and their, their level of commitment you know, that's the, usually the, what defines what's attainable and what's not. Yeah. When you look at the turnover rate in the military, there's always job openings.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and for me, I mean, like I'd far rather him be a mechanic than a, a fighter pilot, you know, right. cause it's terrifying, you know, um, and I don't know, like the, the Canadian military, our airplanes are <laughs> pretty bad. Like right. we're so outdated. Uh, I think like we still have the CF 18s and that's <laughs> We're still buying like used ones from Australia and stuff. When my son um, was
1: calling me and telling me he was going to be operating a nuclear reactor on an aircraft carrier, I thought you've got to be kidding me. Wow. I never would have, never would have thought that for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, you know, it's a, it's one of these things. That it's, it's necessary. You know, like I really, but at the same time, for the, for the people that the family members of the people serving, it's always just a little bit kind of somber. Like you say, like they're living their best life and you're happy for them. But then there's also, there's just that little weight of, you know, this is serious. This is a real thing, you know, and you always just hope that, you know, we live in times of peace and it's kind of, kind of routine, you know, like we're, we're doing this stuff or, um, but there's always that chance that, you know,
1: there is, yes, there you is. Know?
0: So that's always the thing that's, and that's kind of what I was asking about, like with my boys both wanting to join the service, I'm like, oh, I support them. Absolutely. Like, if whatever you want to do, you do. Like, I'm going to stand behind you. But there's also little points like, oh, maybe you'll find something else interesting. <laughs> I tell you what, it,
1: it gives you a um, new appreciation on trying to vote for politicians that will hopefully help oh. keep them safe. You, definitely, there's a weight there to, to think about how it'll affect them.
0: I bet. I bet. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about that, right? They, they think about service people and what they do. It's like, They do what the people that you voted for them do. That's right. (laughs) It's interesting. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, and then uh, we actually, my boys and I, kind of on the whole aviation thing, we picked up. They want to build an aircraft, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, okay. So I I picked up a TIG welder. I still haven't fired it up yet, but the idea is I want to learn how to TIG weld aluminum so that we can make this airplane. And then two weeks ago, we got a. uh, It's like a little little 25 horsepower opposed twin cylinder, a uh, little engine with a prop. So we got that little two stroke. <laughs> and so, oh, uh, they're, they're like, oh, we would build this airplane. And I said, oh yeah, we'll do it. And I, I said, kind of think it would never happen. And then they, they were on the local classifieds and they found this thing. And so it looks like we're going to start building an airplane.
1: What a fun project um, that has to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny cause I'm glad we ended up finding this one. It's only 25 horsepower. So you're very limited. It's going to be like a single seater, basically like a little tricycle with a hang glider on, on the top i think right um and i told him i said boys what we're going for is uh, i would love to set the world record for the slowest flight on earth <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like if i could just do 10 miles an hour and just hover over the fence line you know check cows or something like that right um then it's but they're like oh we gotta we gotta get a bigger one we gotta make something faster and stuff like that but that's yeah, funny. It doesn't sound like you're
1: going to slow them down. They have a passion for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, getting back to knife making, um, how many knives do you make? Like, what what's your volume? Do you make like, say five a year, or ten a year?
1: I I probably make a few a month, depending oh, really? on because you know I switch between the integrals in my pocket EDCs or um, just stock removal. I do a lot. Of, I make a lot of Damascus for myself, and then just do stock removal from it.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, sometimes that's just more efficient to have a billet laying around to make something out of when you need yeah. it, yeah. rather than. A I have a billet knife. from you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. Do you? So with that, that one that you did, should I see? I'm always worried, like if I try to forge that. Well, first of all, I'm not very good at forging nut, blades. I, I'm getting a little bit better, but the one thing is that obviously your pattern would change, right? That's just if I remember, right, it's just a
1: random pattern. So okay. Um, that's kind of the beauty of random pattern is that everybody makes it just a little different. So it has yep. your own fingerprint on it. Oh, okay. Like your dyes, um, how you, how you draw out the metal can affect that random pattern in the end. Yeah. So everybody does it just a little different.
0: Can you identify makers by their patterns? Some think? for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: Some for sure. Like fifty-fifty 50 st- forge. They have a very distinct pat. uh, they do a lot of low layer, um, sand my construction and stuff. So like when you see a knife made out of their steel, because I think that's all Peyton really does is make billets for other people. Um, yeah. You can definitely tell that was one of their billets.
0: Yeah, because there's a very uh, like spiky, like yeah. mountainous. Yeah, and that's, that, Don't that's the way they draw
1: it, it right? That's that, that's oh, how okay. that's how aggressive you are probably in drawing it. Mm-hmm. And if you use rounding or drawing dies compared to flat dies and stuff like that. Gotcha. I usually do a little higher layer count, and mine almost have like a ladder effect from my drawing dies when I get down to the thinner stock. Okay. So that's where that comes from a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. That's a, there's so much to that, isn't there?
1: There is. There is, and it, it, it's endless, you know, the yeah. mosaics. Um, those are so much fun. Yeah. But they're, they're a lot of work, and they're a lot of waste.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, so when you do your mosaics, like I know w- like watching Mareko and what he shares and stuff, like he kind of premeditates everything. Right. It seems, right? Like he he even draws it out and he's got a game plan. Do you do that? Or like, I'm wondering, say for myself, could you do say mosaics? I, I guess the hard thing is you may miss a learning opportunity, but could you just start randomly going about stuff? and Or is it... That's kind like of what do I do. Um, yeah. Like say I might wait-
1: want... An explosion pattern i'm not 100 sure how to get there yet okay so i'm just happy if it sticks and i get something
2: <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of
1: the time but um i think the more that you get into it what i what i've kind of enjoyed doing now is looking at other knives and, and trying to break down how they got that pattern i'm starting yeah. to see that more and more
0: yeah yeah that's cool I again mean, then yeah kind of dissect it and and learn right that's that is so neat
1: it it truly it's it's amazing how some people can really see what's gonna happen ahead of time and Morocco yeah. is probably one of the best for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And then even they'll have an idea, and then. You know kind of piece out in like multiple stages i'm like i don't i don't even understand how somebody could do that right he's like first thing i'll do this i'm gonna stack and i'm gonna rotate it this way and alternate it this way i'm like my well, you just it's like a rubik's cube to me right it's like let's yeah. just peel the stickers off and rearrange it that's how i do them
1: right it's 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 interesting and it, it like again there it's endless and you have people that you can tell somebody like myself who's fairly new to mosaics so you can tell by the end result compared to somebody who's experienced. Like an a person that's not into it might not notice a difference right away. Yeah. Like myself, I can tell a difference between mine and somebody else's. Just the How way so? the tiles line up and stuff. it's yep. it's and I think the you can kind of tell sometimes between a press and a hammer forging, okay. you know, so yeah. It's uh there's a lot to it.
0: Yeah. So when you first started your the first piece of Damascus, you did that with a hand hammer?
1: Yep, a whopping seven layers. I was just happy to get them to stick together.
0: I want to try that. I just i i I don't know if my forge is quite hot enough yet, but I've, it
1: doesn't sound like it. Yeah, you probably you, um either. What do you have? Like a three quarter inch burner? Yeah, you probably want to just take it up to like a one inch. Okay. And then just uh, maybe open your orifice up and just get yeah. it r- roaring hot. I mean,
0: yeah. Um. Cause I, like I, I did a little fiddling and I kind of basically for my burner, I, uh you know, those, uh, like a weed torch you put on, I basically took the regulator nozzle off of that and then where the little handle was, uh, it had like a, I think it was a quarter inch pipe thread. I just kind of built out from there. Right. Um, that way I didn't have to go through like, I know like a barbecue regulator doesn't have, doesn't let enough PSI through, I think.
1: Right. No, you want a regulator that you can adjust the PSI. And you want yeah. to have a gauge to read your PSI, especially okay. if you're getting to those heats because you kind of know what pressure you have to run at to get the heat you want. Gotcha. See, I just built my burners out of plumbing equipment, out of T's and bushings and valves for the airflow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the next things I need to upgrade in my shops. I need to just either do a little bit more research and, and get some better stuff. Because right now, like, I don't even have a gauge on mine. Right. Um, and I'm just using a small, I think it's a 40-pound propane tank.
1: You'll probably be uh, okay with that. I see a lot of guys forging to masks with a 40-pound tank. You might need two of them. If one starts to freeze up, yeah. you can uh, switch. And I found, yeah. uh, I bought Victor propane regulators. and oh, those, okay. those made a big difference. A high-quality regulator made a big difference.
0: Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, because I'd like to do that. And then even a single burner, you know, as long as I'm not working on a huge piece, I really I really want to try and I I just wanna try some sandmai or something like like take some stainless steel and put it on the outside of something carbon.
1: Well now that you have a TIG welder that make it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because you
1: just fuse around the outside to keep the oxygen out. Yeah. But if you watch Moreco when he was doing his forged in play series, he uses the one burner forge, so
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's just you gotta put enough heat into it.
0: Yeah. What size of hammer were you using when you were making your first Damascus by hand? Probably
1: a three pound, if I okay. remember right. Yeah. I can't remember what you, I can't even remember what hammer I used at that point. Probably just something bought off the store, you know.
0: Yeah, a little the, sledge.
2: So I,
1: I have a couple decent hammers now. Sunset yeah. Forge. I have a couple of his hammers and. Oh right on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so you do. You still do quite a bit of hand forging.
1: I try to. I try to keep. I, I'm trying to get better at that. That yeah. that's my goal is to get better at that cause I like doing the forge integral. So you have to do quite a bit of hand forging with that. Okay. Um, the other day I'm. Uh, made a couple uh, um, steak flippers out of railroad spikes. That's the only thing I've used railroad spikes for. And I put uh, uh, bottle openers into them. I made made bottle openers oh, out of those. It, it was kind of a fun project. And that's my other. I think.
0: Oh, go ahead. Because you put those on Instagram, didn't you? Yeah, th- those. Yeah, were fun. I saw those. Those were a lot yeah, of fun. Those are cool. And
1: that's that's probably my my favorite thing to make is um, bottle openers when I'm blacksmith. Yeah. You know, trying to just. Work on my hammer control and and how to move the metal. Because I had had grand ideas when I first started. I was going to make my own hammers. I was going to make my own top. And then pretty quickly you (laughs) learn that that's just not within my skill set (laughs) yet.
0: Yeah. That's what, like, Jeff Fader always says, too. Bottle openers are great because they, you know, it's just get you back to the basics. And they teach you those repeat and repeat. And, and like, Alec always says, I think his thing is make leaves, right? You want to get good at make 100 of these little leaves and uh i think that's what it is for that forging stuff that i don't do i mean i'll go out there and i'll try to make a couple knives and then like okay cool and then i won't try anything else for like a month or two
1: and jeff is a great guy you know he's made a few knives out of my steel but he sent me a bottle opener he made out of my steel so that was it gave me something to look at to see the scale of everything cuz the first couple bottle openers made were like out of quarter inch stock they were just way too heavy but i finally made one out of a mosaic chunk i had left that i'm actually happy with and that one turned out really cool
0: Oh, that's neat. That's cool. Yeah, I got I to gotta get back to doing some of that stuff because it's, it's so different than like making like knives, right? I mean, and I, I do want to be able to forge knives. And, and, and I, I see guys that can put in bevels and, you know, they forge in a nice distal taper, So like, either minimal grinding or, you know, it's not like they're actually removing much material. They're just kind of putting a bevel into it. You know, the the tapers are all pretty much there and everything like that. Jason Um, Knight's
1: amazing at that. His brute they forge knives are just – that guy, he knows how to move the metal, but that's the big part of it is knowing where to move the metal and how to get it to where you want it to go. Yeah. For me, that's what I want to learn that for myself, not because they're a better knife, because any knife that's heat-treated properly and ground properly is a great knife stock removal or forged. I just want to forge for myself. That's –
0: yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Um, my wife actually had, I picked up some square, I think it's a half inch square. My wife wants me to forge some uh, hangers that are going to go on the, on our front porch to hold some flower pots, some hanging flower pots. And so even stuff like that, you know, it's, it's going to be nice because you just simple things. Like I'm going to take this square and then at the one end, I'm going to kind of make it round and then taper it down and bring a little curl, like very, very simple. It's just going to be an arch and then a little hook. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. It sounds simple it's not,
1: until you start trying to get yeah, a symmetrical paper, <laughs> you know, that, know, then you, then you learn that this stuff is a lot harder than it looks.
0: Yes. Yeah. I remember, I don't know why I tried making some spikes. Like when I first got my forge fired up, I was out there every night for a couple of weeks and I was just like, and it was fun. Like, I, I think I saw Dave Canterbury, uh, did something it's some type of a spike or like an all that he used for some bushcrafting thing and so i i made some of those and then i made some throwing spikes where you just take a brown stock and just taper it down And it's true like you you get going and it's like wow and you'll end up you know you get nice and thin and then you're a little bulbous here and it's like it's a it's a lot to it and it's it's amazing how just going out there even like pick a piece of steel and just start smashing on it
1: and that that's the hard part you spend all that money on an anvil right and you have to hit the steel you can't to get it to move, you have to hit it and you have to hit it accurately. And so building that skill has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. The one thing I've noticed with my anvil is it's too low. At least that's what I say. I've heard people say that the height for an anvil should be when you stand up and you kind of make a fist. The top of the anvil should be at your knuckles.
1: I think what I've gathered for me, you want that anvil to be the right height so you can hold the tongs between your legs comfortably. Oh, really? Yeah, that way you you know, you can hold the tongs between your legs if you're using the top tool of the hammer. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't do that, you're kind of, it doesn't matter what height that is, you know, you have to have it at that height.
0: Yeah. Because I, I think mine's around there, but I just feel like it's too low. And that could be because, like, when I build all my workbenches, they're, they're high. Like, I think some of my workbenches are like 39, 40 inches up. And, you know, my wife goes out there she has to do one little thing. She hates it. But, um... I don't know. I've I've noticed if I spend any, like any amount of like a couple of hours forging, um, I feel like I'm just just feels like I'm too low. So I think the one thing I need to do is is bring my anvil up a bit. And it, it may not be the right height. Like I may not be able to hold tongs between my legs. Right. But for most all the other stuff that I'm doing, I just I don't well, when know. you
1: start getting into things like, um, say you have to put a guillotine tool on top. If you want, if you want one anvil, you kind of have to find that happy medium. Yeah. Or, or, or if you want to start using punches, all of a sudden your punch is six inches long, and it be able to hit that flat and square, you got to have it just a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. I would say you'll be more efficient with a lower anvil than a higher anvil. Yeah. Because um, I, before I built my new stand, my anvil was a little low. I ran it a little low. But you can get a lot more power in that.
2: That's
0: true.
1: Hitting it a little low.
0: Yeah, that's true. I've heard also guys say if it's too high, it you, you can actually give you something with your elbows because you're not... Yeah. It's it's not. I definitely believe that.
2: Yeah, and
1: if it's too high, you won't be be able to use any top tools at all. Yeah, and that's fine as long as you. That's all you want to do is like, um, uh, pattern knives or shape knives or something where you don't have to really hit it hard. But if you have to start moving material, you definitely have to be able to get that full swing.
0: Yeah. What size of anvil do you have?
1: I have a hundred pound anvil right now. Okay. Um, but I have it on. I think the I beam base I made with two one inch plates on top and bottom. So it's, it's probably close to a 180 pound anvil because it, oh, well. I, I I clamped it right to it. So it's all one piece.
0: Yeah. Right on. And you are saying earlier you have another anvil on the way?
1: Yeah. I ordered a Alex steel anvil so that it's going to fit on that base and it's going to be even heavier. So the, the heights were the same. So my height will be the same. That's good.
0: Oh, okay. Right on. And then were you going to just kind of relocate your old anvil then or, and have two? I'm not two, sure what I'm you... going
1: to do with it yet. I, I don't really want to get rid of it because I, um, early on, I, th- I found that I didn't want to buy a used anvil that there's anything wrong with them, but you hear about like, uh, the old cast anvils that are, they're beautiful, but like the face coming off of them or having mm-hmm. to be repaired and stuff. So I bought one, I bought an Emerson anvil. I knew what the material was. I knew how it was heat treated and all that. So I, I kind of yeah. didn't want I, I didn't know enough to know what I was buying. I didn't want to go and, and, and pay more for something. I didn't know what it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. I guess if you always have an extra anvil, it's like your retirement. Right. <laughs> if you ever need to, Hey, <laughs> you know, I might, I might sell it.
1: I, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it yet. I haven't, I haven't thought that far ahead. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to use it and I get a little, I get a little attached to those things, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it doesn't owe you anything. You can sit there. You can always just tuck it under a workbench somewhere. Right. Right. It is interesting. I, uh, or the other thing too, is if you ever have people over. Right. Having a second anvil might be handy. I, d- I went uh, to a gentleman. It's called Black Blackheart Forge or Black Dragon, Dragonheart Forge, and uh, he's a local guy. I mean, he reached out and said, "Hey, do you want to come forge?" And so he has this really cool his little forge in his backyard. He lives in uh, like a residential area in the city, but his neighbors are really good, right. and um, he has a coal forge. But he had like three anvils because he always has friends out there. And so it was really great. We went out there. I think I did a little YouTube video on it.
1: I think you did. Um, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah.
0: But, uh, it was, it was actually really hard to film because there's people in and out and all of his neighbors bringing them. It's like, Hey, I found this pile of nails you want it? <laughs> <laughs> like the guys, he's like the, it like was like the hub of the little community is this, it was really cool to see, but, um, yeah, it was kind of neat that he had a, a few different anvils so he could ting ting and, and then I could watch with my piece of hot steel right there and we could like do it real time. It was kind of handy, but. I've thought about, because is your garage attached to your house?
1: Yes, it is. And I'm in a residential it, area also.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess that's kind of nice, though, because then it's probably a little more conspicuous, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I have patient neighbors, and nobody's ever said anything. Nobody's ever come. I, I make sure to ask them, you know, if you hear too much noise, let me know, and I'll stop. And, yeah. And they've, they've all, they said they don't notice, so that, that, which has been good. The only yeah. time I ever had an issue is I made a billet for direct metals, and... Um, it had a chunk of cable from the Golden Gate Bridge, original suspension cable. Oh, wow. And I put that in the forge, and I thought it would kind of burn off whatever crud is in there slow. But yeah. once it got to a certain temperature, the smoke that billowed off that was something else, and I, I really? thought somebody going to call the fire department, you know? Oh, <laughs> wow. But, yeah, the forge Dubai heat commissioned this knife, and we made a couple of them, so it, they turned out
0: pretty neat. Oh, wow. That is cool. You yeah, know, I've thought about, I think with my single single bay that i work in right now i I don't have room for my forge um but i have always thought that'd be so handy even even for some stuff like you know there's certain steels that i kind of i know people say oh you should always use your kiln and stuff but sometimes if i'm making like a little like a little something for the shop like i need another kirdashi for leather working i would prefer just to turn the forge on stick it in there and then dump it in the oil because you know you fire up the kiln and it's kind of it takes you however long to come up to temperature, and um, there's actually times, like, it's like, oh, man, it'd be so handy if I had a forge right now, you know? Um, even I'm making this welding cart, and I'm just bending some half-inch round bar while well, I'm using an oxy acetylene torch. I'm like, it would be really nice if I just had my forge set up, ready to go, because right now it's a production. I mean, I've got to kind of pull it out where it's stored, and I usually set it outside or, or I move a bunch of stuff out of my shipping container, and then I prefer that because I'm in the in the shade at least, right? So I have a little bit better gauge of colors.
1: I if I ever get the opportunity, I, you know, I'd like to move and have some property. I think my forging would either be under a gazebo type yep. of thing, or it would be where I can open up multiple doors and get some yep. air moving. But I think I have a tw- expired 20-pound propane tank eventually. I'm going to build another forge out of just for like what you're saying. You know, put kale wool in there and, and refractory over top of that so it heats up quick. Because right now my forge takes 30 minutes to heat up. Okay. So it's kind of a production, like you said, you burn a lot of propane to get it hot, but once it's hot, it holds heat and it holds a very stable temperature.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I cool. hear what you're
1: saying there. I definitely, I think I want to build a one burner propane tank forge eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mine, my, yeah, mine doesn't get super hot, but it actually gets to temperature fairly quick. Right. Um, and then I've got like, I got a really small opening at the back, which I designed for if I need to, say if I need to put a bend in the middle of a piece of bar stock. Right. And so it is kind of nice, for that, but I wish I had it more accessible. Cause it's like, just throw it in there and, you know, fire it up 10 minutes later, you can bend your steel and then shut it down, you know?
1: Right. I hear that that's, that's ease of accessibility. That would be nice just to have a shop where I could have it set up all the time and just go do what I want to do whenever yeah. I want.
0: Yeah. See, I've thought about doing, like you say, a little type of a shaded area off the side of my shipping container. I mean, it would be an eyesore to the neighbors that drive by, but I, I really don't care. Um, but my only thing is like, I wonder in the wintertime what it would be like. I mean, obviously if it's, I put like some tin walls that, you know, that are about a foot off the ground and don't go all the way up to the roof. So you still have a lot of airflow, but you still have the shade like, but I honestly wonder if it was like minus 20, what that would, I imagine it'd be pretty difficult to, to do much work then because your anvil going to be cold.
1: Yeah, I've never noticed the anvil sucking that much heat out of something. Maybe when it's really cold it would, but it's going to eventually heat up. Um, yeah. Maybe you just need another shipping container and put a roof between them. Yeah. That way you can close true. off one end if you want and in the winter. That's and, true. Because it's amazing how much heat them forges put out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, a lot of people do that around here. My neighbor did did one, so they take two shipping containers and then they'll use those for the walls and then put a building between them. Right, and it's, it's nice because then you've got, like, sealed off storage, so you're not going to get any rodents in. Right. And then you've got a shop in the middle. Right. Yeah. And then it'd be nice, too, because you could leave that, like, uh, gravel or something.
1: I You know, I think for blacksmithing, that would be a lot nicer, having all that scale just – I think they use gravel or um, – I can't remember the other material they use for that off yeah. the top of my head right now. but
0: Yeah, I know I've uh, – I've had a few places, like a few shops we've worked in. We'll have some of the welders do like bending, you know, heavy like one-inch steel rods for like holding pipes and stuff like that. And a lot of times, those things will, when they're really hot, they hit the concrete and they sit there. Sometimes the concrete just kind of the top layer chips up a little bit.
1: Yep, they spall a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's so much fun. All that um, eventually, be I'd love to build like an actual shop out here, like. Nothing, nothing huge. I mean, my dad's got a really, he's got a 50 foot by 100 foot shop at his place, but that's, it's too big. It is. You know, a, you'd have um, to
1: break sections off of that for mm-hmm. your specific shops, you know?
0: Yeah. That's why I thought if, if I, I don't know, even, even like a large shed, like what Noah just added on there, I'm like, that is such an ideal little setup. And I'm not sure if he's going to keep that. It looks like he's going to keep the front half of that gravel. Right. Where his forges. I'm like, that's brilliant. You know?
1: Well, uh, I don't, do you follow Dave from DCB Knives? He also has like a couple sheds put together like that. He's in California. It's like a, <laughs> it's a beautiful layout. It really yeah. is. He's got a beautiful backyard and, you know, these, these nice little sh- I think that so often we focus on a bigger shop. Yeah. I think that you lose something, in my opinion, with that. Like a, a smaller shop, a lot of the times dedicated for that one purpose. Like I don't want to have a shop where I work on cars and lawnmowers and all that stuff too. I want to have just, just my knife making and foraging shop you know, a little bit yeah. of fabrication or whatever, but just yeah. that and leave a set up for that all the time.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's such a huge thing. Like I would love, I am I think it'd be so cool just to put a little shed in and then have that for knife making. And then, because like I, like you said, working on lawn boards and stuff, I'm always working on something here. Right. And it's, it's such a pain in the butt because you know, I either got to shuffle stuff around or if I have a few, it's nice. Like, like I shipped out like four knives yesterday and all week long, it's nice to have, okay, I'll grind this one. I'll set it here. And I've got all the hand, and it's all kind of laid out. And so boom, 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 work one. Then I'm hand sanding this one, or I'm put, putting the handle on this one. And I, But then it's like, okay, now I need to go, so, like I uh, got a tire, like a blew out a tire on my lawnmower yesterday. Well, I got to bring it in the garage, and I want a place to <laughs> put my tools, right? right? So now it's like, okay, let's move all this stuff, and greasy, greasy stuff doesn't, work well with your knives or your nice expensive blocks of wood that you're, you're you know so it's it would be nice to have a dedicated place and then i, I equally i love working on stuff like i like making right. knives but i love tinkering uh engines bicycles you know so it would be kind of cool to have to reclaim my garage back and move but that's just the weather thing it's yeah. the weather thing for me i can I don't,
1: understand that yeah that's cold we don't get that cold here just a little bit of snow and Again
0: yeah, a, where where in Michigan are you? I'm about an hour north of Detroit. Oh, okay, so where's that? Um
1: It's on the east side in the okay. thumb area. Okay. It looks like a mitten, we're in the thumb. Yeah. What's I'm
0: that a, like what t- town name?
1: I'm in Marysville. We're just Marysville. south of oh. Port Huron where the border crossing is where the blue Water okay. bridge is. Yep.
0: Yep, yep. Oh cool. I did uh I did an airport in Sault Ste Marie, Michigan there.
1: Okay, that's yeah, that's up in the tip.
0: Yeah, and then did some work in Lansing, Michigan. Um, a few places I like. Michigan's a cool state. There's some some interesting bicycle companies are based in different areas of Michigan. Really, um, Ann Arbor is a big bicycle town.
1: I didn't. It's, you know, I didn't even realize how many knife makers there are in Michigan until oh, I, I bet, started eh? getting into it. Oh, the, yeah. There are some extremely talented people. Like Bill Binky's in Michigan. Yeah. Um. Nico Nicolades is in Michigan. Haymaker Backsmith is in Michigan. So it's...
0: uh, That's one of those things everybody says they thought they were the only knife maker around. And then you get into it, and it's like, wow.
1: Well, I bought my Even Heat. They're made in Michigan. I bought it through a maker in Michigan, um, Tim Zawada. He's one of their dealers. And that guy, he takes Lake Superior sand and smelts it into steel. Really? Uh, He's an incredibly talented knife maker. He makes a lot of straight razors and stuff, so... Wow! I didn't realize all of this until I started, you know, getting to know people.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. It's knife making is so neat because you can go as deep as you want, right? Right, and you've got like like the extreme end, which you just said, like smelting your own steel down, right? Or you could just be like, hey, let's, you know, you could even just buy a knife and put a handle on it, right. right? And anything in between, it's it's so fun. Like, I mean, I think I'm still at the very the other end where it's like stock removal. It's a fairly easy thing. You know, you're not you're not too deep into it, but you can go to, to start foraging and then, like you say, make your Damascus and then it's crazy how, how many different levels there are within that one well, subject.
1: All of the things that you don't think of that you have to learn. Uh, finishing wood. You know, I, I never even really thought about that much. Um, a little bit of leather work here and there. Even kydex, learn how to do kydex, learn how to photograph knives. And that's just to make... Something that you can sell to somebody and and know that they have what they need, right? Yeah. That, that's that to heat treat and perform. That's like your basics, but then all the other rabbit holes from engraving to inlay and bluing fittings and it's just it's endless the stuff that you can learn.
0: Yeah, and stabilizing. Right. Th- that's one thing I would. I want to get into stabilizing wood, but I'm also intentionally being like, no, I'm. I. There's a certain sense where I don't want to take on too many different aspects and do them all poorly. Right. And uh, right now I know that I I don't have the time or even the desire to give it what it needs. I think stabilizing, at least what I'm realizing lately, um, like I learned quite a bit listening to the, the Toby Fire and Steel podcast. Yep, yep. Uh, they've got some, they had some guests. Um, who was it? The Wood Wizard? Mad er, uh, Mad Scientist. Scientist. Yeah. Oh, like he's a great what, hearing guy. him talk about stabilizing, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> this is totally different. I thought I could just buy a vacuum and a chamber and some juice and slap stuff together and bake it off, but it's like, you know, sometimes some of that stuff's been there for months, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested in that yet, <laughs> you know. Since seeing you do
1: your nitro V with the cryo, I always wanted to try it. It took me a while to get a doer. I finally made, I made them for myself so I can try them in my kitchen. Yeah. So I use um, I used nitro V and then I used uh, spalted uh, hackberry, I think uncut okay. hackberry for the handles. So I, I thought, you know what? I'd like to have a knife block out of spalted wood. And I was looking all over the internet, and it turns out I went in my backyard and an ash tree cut down several years ago had some spalting. So I cut some slabs out of that. Oh wow! I, I'm going to stabilize it. So it was, listening to Toby talk about that, that that helped for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like anything too. Um, you know, you watch Forge and Fire*. You can think, "Oh, blacksmithing's easy," and then you do it, and it's like, "Okay, not that." Easy. And then to do it right is all different again. So, right. I, I know I I was always under the assumption that to stabilize wood, you basically just you get some resin, you put it in there for a couple hours, wait till a bubble stop, and you're good. You know, that's what but I, I thought too. But after yeah.
1: listening to those guys, because uh, I've, I've stabilized antler handles before. Okay, so, and, and I must have gotten some stabilization resin in there because the I use a lot of crowns when I do that, and that polishes up really nice.
0: Yeah, okay, because yeah, I had a guest one time, or sorry, not a guest, like a customer wanted a specific wood, uh, this handle set, and so they bought them off of this. I don't know who it was off of Etsy, this guy that stabilized them. And I started cutting them and they were, I could just tell they were really light. And I said, I'm not sure. I said, just so you know, I'm, I'm going to try these out, but I don't think they're going to work. And they were terrible, horrible. And I'm like, ah, you know, this would probably be what I would do. Assuming I was just, oh yeah, put it in there. Wait till the bubble stop, pull it out. I think that was what this guy did. Right. And then you get some blocks from reputable people and it's like just amazing. Like it's, right all the way through and it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Like yeah. I've
1: used mad scientist scales. I've used Rob's Wildwood and yep. both those guys I would stand behind
0: 100% yeah 100, yeah absolutely um, there's another gentleman uh, True North micarta is what he is Rob he's actually from Ontario uh, he's got into he started out doing just micartas okay and he's actually a firefighter so he'd take a lot of the hoses and make micartas and then he went from that to uh, stabilizing woods and he does a great job right and it's so interesting because you know I'll put pictures up on Instagram of a handle and like how do you get it how do you get that wood so shiny and it's like 2000 grit. Like what oil are you using? It's like, there's no oil on there. <laughs> like this is literally just 2000 grit sanded. I don't even go that high
1: I go four, 800 grit and then buff it. And it's yep. like with Rob's stuff, it's, it, it's like glass.
0: Yeah. My, my buffer, I don't, I need a new mop for my buffing wheel. <laughs> I use I it for you. polishing boots once. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> I tried on my last knife. I was like, I'm sure it's clean enough. I kind of took a wire brush to it and right. then I put my handle under there and it's like, oh no, it's got all these dark spots in it now. <laughs> so I have to sand it again. So, right. I just need to get one of those, but yeah, I know. And in the stabilized wood, when it's done properly, it's, it's so nice to work with. It makes your job as a knife maker easy. Well, and it's and, you know, s-
1: so nice to look at. It's so interesting, yeah. you know? And then, you know, I, I was going to cast stuff, you know, I was going to make the cast hybrid scales and all that stuff. And then I found out, you know what, I, I deal with Casting Kings now. He just makes it the colors I need and really? he does an amazing job. And yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. you know, that, that's, that's kind of how it is. Like there's so much to it. Sometimes it's just left. The best left to the professionals, you know.
1: Well, I, I think that if I had more time, and I think it'd be an amazing and, and fun process to learn. But it's, yeah, for the interest of time, I just I don't have the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I did so you, you got to pick and choose.
1: Did you see that set that he made for me with the knife block? Casting Kings did. I'm not sure. I did a four knife integral set. It had like a um a, a butcher knife, a chef knife, a petty, and a paring yes. knife. And we, yep. he did a knife block for me. And the, all the co- different colors kind of flowed together. It was a really neat project. Wow. It, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: That's cool. And, you know, the one thing, I mean, people, like, if, if people have never, like, used good, stabilized wood from a source. I know the first thing I thought was, like, oh, my goodness, this stuff's expensive. Right. Because, right? I mean, it's, you know, 35 40 bucks a block or for a set of scales. But when you actually use it, it is, as a maker, it is so worth it because, you know, you cut it, and it, it cuts well. You know, you get a cheap block, like this one that I got off Etsy. I saw the price. is $12 for a set of knife scales. And it was it was terrible. I, I couldn't use them. And then especially, like you said, when you get to the finishing of them, it makes your life so easy. You know, you, you get everything done up, and you buff it. And it's like, you've got this thing that looks, it takes your work to a different level.
1: I completely agree. And it also gives you that peace of mind that when I make my knives, they're, you know they can be a little bit expensive so i'm making it for the person they're going to hand it down to yeah you know I, I want to make something that people cherish and use every day and and enjoy using and then look forward to handing down to the next generation
0: and it's also a certain sense you know i used to use like unstabilized wood on wall handles for kitchen knives and i'd, I'd coat them because when you buy if you buy like an actual traditional japanese knife that's made in japan um their handles are actually fairly crude. Right. And they'll tell you when they buy them in the store, they'll be like, okay, you, you know, after a couple months, you're going to have to take like a nice four or 600 grit sandpaper and just sand this down again because it's unfinished wood. Um, but when you use the stabilized block, it's is a certain sense where, okay, if, especially if I'm doing like a stainless knife and I've got stabilized wood, um, you know, it, not that they should, but that thing could go through the dishwasher and come out. Right. And there's a certain sense where obviously you tell everybody, say, don't ever even think about this. And you'd hope they have that level of respect for your work. Right. But, you know, if you spend 40 bucks on a block of wood, at least there's a certain sense where people can be a little bit not nice to my knife. And it's it's still going to look really nice. And I'm not going to get a call back in six months saying, oh, you know, this thing really doesn't look like what I first purchased. Even though it's entirely their fault, you know, it's kind of a nice feeling. And I've tried some of that, like I've tried um, some stabilized blocks in our kitchen. And I'll put them through the dishwasher and they come out, (laughs) you can't even tell. I mean, I feel horrible doing it, putting a knife in the dishwasher, but it's a really nice little bit of insurance when you buy a good quality product from somebody who knows what they're doing. It makes your product better.
1: I I completely agree with that 100%. And and I try to source the best materials I can um, because let's face it, it makes me look good.
2: Yeah, that's
0: exactly (laughs) right. Exactly right. You
1: know, And and I've shipped some of my integrals all over the world, you know from dubai to australia to to uk and to think that my work's over there and there's some great makers in those places that that's just it's it's humbling to think that that many people can see your work
0: yeah yeah it's an interesting thing about these times we live in it is um i was talking to my parents about this the other night we went up for dinner with them and uh yeah. Cause like my dad, I worked, uh, with him for a lot of years and he's kind of old school. We didn't get along very well when we worked. <laughs> and he's always like, you know, when I, when I got laid off sand gel, he's like, we better come back to work for me. It's like not a chance that <laughs> we've been down this road. It was like the, it was the Orange County chopper guys, Paul senior and Paul junior. And, and it's great now that we don't work together. It's just something about that situation when we work together. Um, but it's funny because he's like well what are you doing it's like well i'm, I'm selling my knives on the internet <laughs> you know he's like and they kind of don't get it right and like and it's it's like are you doing youtube videos and the, oh yeah people see my work and well who's buying your knives like like you said people from all over and it, right. it's so crazy how um you know this it, getting into this right now is such an amazing time because i like you said it opens the doors your customers are all over the place you know i ask, i get asked a lot if i ever do knife shows and i've never done one and i don't think i have any desire i think it would feel like i used to shoot like photograph weddings and you're always kind of on you always got to be friendly you always got to be there and i think it'd be feeling just like that and for me that's exhausting like i
1: i think next year i want to get a table at blade if i can get enough knives to make it worth my while yeah just because i don't know if you've gone to blade yet no it it was so much fun because honestly this is the best part of the knife making is the community yeah Getting to meet people um, that you're friends with or follow um, on Instagram, because the knife making community on Instagram, I think, is is probably the most fun I've had. And uh, somebody recognizing my logo on my shirt, I never would have. It's like you put these pictures out there, but you don't really realize people are are looking you yeah, know yeah and so that, that it was so much fun meeting so many of the great people that I, i've dealt with i've done quite a few collaborations with people okay and yep. uh sold a lot of billets so getting to meet a lot of those guys its uh, what an amazing time that was
0: yeah that's neat. it's too bad it was canceled this year
1: well yeah i, I wasn't going to make it this year i kind of knew when it was canceled the first time i wasn't going to make it you know but yeah hopefully next year the world will get back to normal
0: and or yeah. somewhat normal yeah is like this year we planned on going and to the point where like we actually had, we started, we opened up another bank account and we put the exact amount of money that we need for the whole trip. Um, we were going to drive down. We had a bunch of other stuff we wanted to do. We are going to take like two to three weeks and just kind of, that was going to be the main point And then kind of meander our way back through. And my kids had some places they wanted to see and stuff. Um, actually I should have like flight test. Have you heard of that YouTube channel? No, I have not. Um, I think they're in Michigan. No, Ohio. I think. Um, but anyways, they had, they actually, they make like RC airplanes and, and they okay. do it on like foam board and they actually bought a golf course and they converted it to like a flying area. And so you can actually go and do a day class where you, you go there, you make an airplane and then you fly it with them. So we were going to do that and we had a whole bunch of stuff lined up and then all this stuff happened with, and we said, are we going to, are we going to go down in August? And I was like, I, you know, with, with what's going on. Like I mean, and, and again, I'm kind of isolated from it, but I guess with what the media shows me is going on with different rides and stuff. Like, I honestly don't know if I really just feel like driving down to the States right now. I mean, I don't even want to go to the, the city close to me. I just kind of want to stay out here for now, I don't, you know? I
1: don't blame you. I just kind of wait it out and see what happens is all yeah. we can do. Let
0: I mean. things simmer down a little bit. But but
1: yeah, that's my goal next year. Hopefully, everything comes back to normal, I, I, I would definitely like to get a table just to experience it. Yeah. You know, just because it's so hard to find everybody you want to see yeah. wandering around. Yeah. I, mean, I, I I met a lot of people and uh, it'd be fun to just have them stop by and say hi.
0: Yeah. That'd be cool. I know I was really looking forward to going. Um, I think I'd mentioned in a YouTube video and then so many people said, Oh, I'm going to go too." And we're like, we're setting up times like, okay, here's my number. Give me a call when you're, when you're there and, and stuff As it was going to be fun, but oh well.
1: Right. What do you yeah. do?
0: Yep, not much. I guess we'll probably plan on going next year, like you say, if things get back to normal. Hopefully, I think they should by then. I hope so. Yeah.
1: I know there's a lot of pain in the world. It'd be nice to see some of that, you know, resolved Yeah. people.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, I. You know, everybody said the, the big thing going around and I was like, what 2020 has been like, you know, and I, we were having dinner last night. I told my kids, I said, honestly, kids, I think 2020 has been the worst year I've ever seen in my life. Right. Um, you know, and even, even not so much. Okay. So there's all this stuff going on, but there's such polarization now. Right. And nope. You, you can't have a discussion about anything. Right. You know, it's like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's respectfully no. No, it's like, okay, no, you offended me. Everything, everything you do offends. You go to the grocery store and they got the arrows up and down the aisles and you want like a can of beans and it's like three feet down, right? Like I can almost reach it and then you, you just kind of walk this way and then the old lady's sitting there and she just gives you the stink <laughs> eye and it's like, just chill out lady. I'm still like 20 feet away from you. I'm right. grabbing a can of beans and I'm leaving, you know, but somehow it's, oh, it's
1: just I, I don't know how we lost this ability to agree to disagree. Yeah. And, and to not even be able to talk about what we don't agree on, it, it's it's really kind of sad, you know, Yeah, to not be able to have discussions anymore and debates. and
0: Yeah. And, and you're, yeah. I, I remember I worked with, uh, I worked, before I worked at Sanja, I worked for a different oil company. I was there for about a year, um, NOV, and I worked with a guy who's very different beliefs than I have very interesting guy and we carpooled together cause we lived like literally half a block away. We found out after we were both working there and I, I appreciated him. Cause like I say, he thought very different stuff. Like he believed in aliens and alien. So kind of really out there compared to what I believe, but we, every, and almost every day we would talk about stuff, but there's that respect cause we worked together, we were neighbors and it was some of the best dialogue I've ever had in my life. And I yep. never convinced him of my side. He never convinced me of his side, but it was somehow enjoyable.
1: Them are some of the most rewarding conversations you'll have because it challenges your way of thinking mm-hmm. and it, not that you're going to change your mind, but you can try to understand where they're coming from yep. and how they got there. So I, I find you, if people can come back to that, having those conversations, you learn more about yourself than anything. Yeah. It makes you think about your beliefs and why do I believe this?
0: Yeah, this is but. true. I think part of it, too, is the medium that we do so much communication now. A lot of it, to me, feels like, in a certain sense, a one-way conversation. Right. Um. You know, you put a YouTube video and there's always a sense of me that says, okay, I'm just putting this out. And then I, the the comments like, oh, no, actually, this is... But then, again, there's a certain point where, you know, I, I can make... I could put a video that's 20 minutes up and that's all 20 minutes of, of whatever I want to say. And then you get a type of comment and hopefully, you know what I mean? Like, right. So even that in itself, I mean, I know there's a community you can build around it, but still, it's, I have a, it's more of a one-way thing. You know, a person with a big YouTube channel, they say what they want. I can't necessarily go back and forth with them. Right. And same thing with Instagram. You post something and you're sharing it out, whether you choose to read comments or respond to them. And I I wonder if that somehow has played into, it, like you say, there's no back and forth. It's kind of like, and, and people voice their opinions just like this is like this and this boom right, and it's like,
1: I think that people have learned to think that their opinions are fact. Yeah. Really, they're just your opinion, and, they, and they've forgotten that you know. Yeah. like My opinion doesn't really matter to anybody else. They can agree or disagree. That that's their choice. You know. And yeah. Think for yourself and. Yeah. And, and if you're adamant about something, and you truly believe in something, ask yourself why. Yeah, you know, there's a real lack of critical thinking as far as that goes. And yeah. It, regardless of what side you're on, it doesn't have to be a side. Is as, is as, as the shame of it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's uh, like I've even had tried tried conversations with certain family members, and man, it's. It's so hard. Like I'll say something and one of my cousins in particular, she's quite a bit older than I am, uh, very different life experiences we've had. And I'll kind of be like, yeah, but what about this? And she's like, you're attacking me. It's like, no, I'm not right. Like, trust me if, if, you know, and you know, well, even though, what's that expression without getting into the, all this going on, I don't like to touch these topics, but people say like silence is violence. Right. So I was like, well, you, you don't know what violence is. I'm sorry. Right. Just because right. I don't want to say anything, uh, um, you have if you really think that silence is violence, well, boy.
1: What happened if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all? Exactly. You know, that's how I was brought up. <laughs> exactly. And, and the and actions like, actually speak louder than words. Yeah. What you actually do with your life is more of who you are than what you what you say a lot of the time. Yeah. Or don't say in that case. Yeah. I'll treat you like... You, I want to be treated with respect and dignity and I hope that you'll do the same. Then I'm good. We're good. There's nothing else that there's no problem.
0: Yeah. 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 We've lost that. I think we've got a lot to, of people have. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me wonders if there's cause it's life's too easy right now.
1: I think so. I think that challenges make you work harder. Yeah. And that could definitely be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Everything's good. Everything's hunky dory, you know, land of milk and honey. Everything's where everybody's prospering and, you know, doesn't take much to have people feel like, "Oh, I'm I need something to fight for. <laughs> I need right. something to fight about."
1: Or if there, if some people, not everyone, isn't prospering, that it's somebody else's fault. Yeah, that's not always the case.
2: No, no.
0: Yeah, a lot. There's a lot. Long road we could go down with that one.
1: Boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I, I I honestly hope to see more trade schools and more vocational training in the future. I think that would help a lot of people. Yeah. And for the trades to be respected again, not looked at as a second choice or looked down on. Yeah. My daughter deals that right now because, you know, she has she went to two years of cosmetology, half half the day for school, right, and then she went full time between her junior and senior year all summer long to get the hours to get her license. Yeah. And people, so she, even family members sometimes will say, "So what are you doing?" And she says, "Well, I'm a cosmetologist." But and they're quite well. Are you going to college? It's like, well, she kind of already paid her dues. It's a trade. Yeah. And, and everybody wants to have their hair done. So why would that be any less than? I, I've never quite understood that. Yeah. You know, that whole lack of respect and regard for the people that provide your services and basically keep the world running. Yeah. The trades are very undervalued. And I think listening to people like Mike Rowe, I hope that more people listen to him. Yeah. What a phenomenal, intelligent man he is.
0: Yeah, and it's it's true. Um, I think there's a certain point where they're being forced to value them more. Right. Um, there's a book that I really really enjoyed. It's called Shop Class as Soulcraft. I think the I think the author's name is Matthew Crawford. I could be wrong on that. He actually just released a new one uh, book out called Why We Drive and his his beef with the autonomous car. But you know. There's a certain sense where, you, you we'll call it white collar, you're, you know, university, all these education. You look at the percentage of how many people actually are employed with what they studied, and it's less than half. It's incredible right. you, they get this degree in this thing and they never earn one cent using that education.
1: I think a lot of the time, the only thing that that degree gets them is the job. Yeah. Regardless of it's in their field or not.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And at the same time, I mean, if your car breaks down, you can't think that into repair. Right. You actually have to put your hands on it, and you, you know, a part has to come off, a part has to go on, and there, there was an education, you know, that that took place to understand how to do that properly, and and what that even to find which part it is that needs to come off. And I know it's, I know it's kind of getting a little bit. Uh, more technical now, where you, you're plugging computers and, and running diagnostics, diagnostics and stuff. But even with houses, I mean, are you gonna build a house. Who's gonna do that? You know, can right. can we outsource that to you know big call center in a different part of the world? No. And then once that house is built, and you like right now, let's say the uh, a couple of weeks ago here, we had a brutal hailstorm and it literally looked like these houses were just fired on with fully automatic guns like right. some some of them it's it's literally just shambles of the siding well who's fixing that right, right. that's going to take a guy that has learned a trade that he knows how to to do exteriors of houses new shingles so and the thing is everybody's like you say they're they're not valuing that so they're not pushing their children to it and there's a shortage
1: what's astounding to me also is that the people we we need the white collar jobs just like we need the blue collar jobs, but the amount of people that truly will never get that satisfaction of making something with their hands. Yeah. Because when you start making something and you have a finished product, that's, I think that as there's something that speaks to your soul when you're holding your finished product in your hands Yeah. or you've built this or there's something about that, that I, I find it, I don't know what you could replace that with.
0: Yeah. It's a physical manifestation of your effort. Right. You know, and that's, that's why I hated being a project manager so much. And I'll, I'll say something that might be a little offensive, but I truly, based on my experience, um, so when I was a project manager, I worked with all different levels, like we worked with the TSA, um, uh, with Catsa, which is a Canadian version of it, we worked at, with state governments, city governments, municipalities, like doing all these airports and. I will tell you that from my experience working with all these different people, you could get rid of 90% of white collar workers. As long as you keep the right 10%, the exact same amount of work will get done. And there is so much fluff and padding on the white collar side that it can't exist on the blue collar side. Right? If right. you if you've got one guy with a wrench, one guy tightening up a bolt or a nut, you can't have two people sitting around or waiting to go get him apart. Right? It, it right. doesn't work like that. Whereas you know, you you go into an office and you got your, the the main contact that we would work with would be a project manager. And then he would have an assistant and then he would have a, and it's like all these people that really don't add value. None of them can make a decision. You you know, I'm not saying, you know, some people do need an assistant to get stuff done, but it's amazing how many, you go to these meetings. I remember we did this one meeting at the Calgary airport and they're right now, I think they have the most debt than any airport in Canada right now. But we went to these meetings on our contract. Said I had to go to a week, uh, weekly meeting every Wednesday with the construction company. And when we'd started, they were talking about the clocks, you know, they have the clocks on the walls to let the passengers know. They didn't know if they wanted to maintain the same style of clock as the rest of the airport had, or go to a new one. And I was going to these meetings for over two years. And at the end of the two years still tabled on every agenda, still discussed at every meeting was what we we're going to do with the clocks. <laughs> and in this time we had manufactured a conveyor system. We pulled an old one out. We put a new one in like in an overnight change order, and this was between two floors, uh, we had to move some HVAC pipe and like we've done all this work and you can't make a decision on clocks. Right. And we had 20 people in there every time. And finally at the end of the well, we still had a few more times. I said, you know what? We're just going to give you the money back that we had in our budget for these meetings. I'm not coming to the meetings anymore. Right. So well, why not? I said, I don't want to hear you talk about this stupid clock. My work is right. done. We're in a warranty phase now. If you have issues with our equipment, let me know. I'll, I'll come anytime you want. And it's just, it was incredible. And, and when I worked in that position with, like I said, every different level of government, um, amazing how much useless fluff there is in the white collar side. And, and I know there are companies that operate better than that. But as a whole, I, I'm, I'm convinced. I haven't seen a lot of them. <laughs> no. I'm convinced, and I'll stick to it. You can get rid of 90% of white-collar workers, and if you keep the right 10%, you'll get the same work done.
1: It's probably a good thing that I, I was union when I asked our vice president. They hired one of our vice presidents. They hired some company to tell them what they needed to do to make things more efficient. You know, and So they are giving us a spiel about these are the best people in the business. And So my question to him was, well, if they're the best at telling us what we need to do, why don't we just hire them and get rid of you? you know I don't understand it and I think that everybody needs a job probably has to do with a lot of it yeah you know but we have to start telling our kids it's okay to get your hands dirty take pride in a trade yeah um, and be proud of what you do regardless of what you're doing if you're being productive you're doing something yeah you know everybody likes to have their garbage picked up but so many people talk down about garbage men
2: and women yeah
1: well, society wouldn't run without them, so you have to respect them. They're hardworking, you know. There is nothing wrong with hard work.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you know what happens if a lawyer didn't do his work for, didn't do his job for a month, or a sanitation worker, you, right. you know, Wh- which People ones? probably
1: have a lot more money in their pockets if the lawyer didn't do their job for a month.
0: <laughs> That's right. To be less fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy.
1: Well, it's been a really good conversation. Oh, I've enjoyed it, and it, yeah. It, it's truly been an honor to be here because, honestly, you helped so much when I first started learning. And I always like to take the opportunity to, to thank people for what you do and to put that information out there. It means a lot to a lot of us. It's not just me, you know. Yeah. I, I probably, You probably don't understand or really truly know how many people you've touched and, and changed their lives, basically. Because without knife making, I, I don't know where I'd be right now.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that.
1: You guys make it accessible to, to everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I really do appreciate that. It's it is funny because you don't ever think about that when you make a video. It's um, it's just like I don't know. I did it for something fun. It's like, hey, let's almost if it's to be goofy or something, you put it out there. It's like, oh, people watch this. This is weird, <laughs> right. you know. And it's well, you it, know,
1: when I, when I was on viewers' knives, I had to grab my wife. We had to watch it together, you know. And yeah, so that stuff really does help, and that's why. It truly is. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to get to know you over, you know, the last three years. Yep. And uh, it's been nice.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I'm really, it's really good to talk to you about your your process and your, demand. like, I, I see your Damascus, I'm like, man, I, one day I'm going to at least get to the point where I want to, like, where I can try that, you know? Um, well, see,
1: if you're ever on your way through Michigan, we'll make yeah.
0: some. Oh, for sure. I'd say, like, your progress is just unbelievable. Like I say, I saw the pictures of your first, I think it was. Third, fourth, fifth knife, right? To what you're doing now, I'm like, that is, that's, you know, up levels after levels. It's incredible work you're doing.
1: Well, it, uh, I fumble through everyone still. I still second guess myself through everyone. It's just determination to get you to a final product that you're happy with.
0: Yeah. And you're obviously learning as you go, right? <laughs> oh,
1: everyone. Yeah. If you're not learning on every knife, I, I feel like you're missing
0: something. Yeah, for sure. Well, I like to wrap up every show with some recommendations, whether that be, it could be a YouTube channel or an Instagram account or podcast, a book, anything. Uh, Would you have anything you'd like to share with the listeners, something that you found interesting as of late?
1: You know what? I I don't hear a lot of people do. Um, I think I'd like to recommend some of the vendors that I deal with. Okay. You know, so you have, you know, Rob's Wildwood. Yep. They do amazing stabilized wood. He he does an amazing job. Everything I've gotten from his... fantastic the mad scientist scales he, he, his blocks are second to none
2: yep
1: hawkness customs he has some of the he has some amazing vintage stuff he he he's a vintage addict with micartas and westinghouse oh, really? and fordite and all that stuff and then he does his own stabilizing also he does some really cool things and he, he's a super fun guy um, right on rock and blocks and there's just there's so many people um that are uh forrester woods he's just getting started and and i think matt he definitely took a liking he's a knife maker but he also he has this passion for the materials you know yeah so now i I would say a lot of the guys unless they're unless you can see their products when you see kng stabilized i think that makes a big difference a lot of the time but there's guys like hunter from hawks nest customs and the mad scientists that do it themselves they're doing amazing jobs also um if you're looking for uh hybrid scales casting kings okay. has always done an amazing job yep so
0: right on well i'll put uh i'll get all this we'll go through this list afterwards i'll, I'll put links in the show notes to all this stuff because i think you know i'm all about supporting especially small businesses and and people that are doing it right right quality they, stuff you know that's how their business grows is with word of mouth and and so I'm yeah I'm really excited about that to share this well, with everybody and of course,
1: so. uh, black Black Fox, um, yes Grinders Thaddeus is an amazing person he just he works with you, uh, he I think he just he's coming out with his next generation here pretty soon yeah you know I love supporting smaller businesses I love supporting people that have great ideas but aren't necessarily mainstream and have that huge market share already
2: yeah yeah for sure.
0: For sure.
1: And if I forgot anybody, you know, I apologize. It's it's a tough thing to come up with, you know, as far as... Yeah,
0: especially all, on the spot.
1: Yeah, you deal with a lot of amazing people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I think uh, I'm going to recommend an Instagram account. Um, this is a... He's a Canadian knife maker, and I, he's got a lot of followers, but it's amazing how, I think, how few actually that I know know about him. And his name is Morgan Cohen. And his Instagram handle is called Cohen's Craft. Um, his it's funny because he puts a lot, quite a bit, on Instagram, but he doesn't. I don't think he hashtags anything. <laughs> so as, as far as that strategic thing, he's totally missing out. I think he's almost got around ten thousand followers. But uh, this summer, he's actually taking off to help his brother in law do. He does like custom, like high end patios, stone patio work and stuff. But he does stock removal. He works out of his a little shed, like we we're talking about and um his work is some of the cleanest stock removal work i've ever seen he's got a, a definite style he, he plays a lot with different textures um sometimes he'll make like uh he'll have a solid g10 scale but he'll make it look like it's got stitches all over it i don't know how he engraves it he he doesn't share an awful lot of his process um i don't think he ever does stories or anything like that but as far as inspiration and just seeing a style oh his, his work is so good i would actually like to get one of his knives one day because it's And all kinds, he'll do some kitchen knives and then he'll do some like 14 inch big machete looking things. But everything he does is just super, super clean. And I really aspire to his level of, of finish and stuff. So, uh, Cohen's craft on Instagram. And again, that will be in the show notes. You can check that out. Well, I want to say, thanks again, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation and really cool hearing, hearing a little bit about you and, and your process.
1: I've truly enjoyed it. You know, it's always nice to talk to other other people and hear about their thoughts and opinions on all this stuff.
0: Right on. Well, thank you to everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you'd like to, you can go ahead and give us a review on iTunes. Check out the other podcasts on the Makery Podcast Network. Uh, There's also a brand new one. Uh, I was going to give this as my recommendation too, but The Art of Craftsmanship. They have a brand new podcast that's their YouTube channel, Dustin and Devin, and really, really good podcast. Their audio is just phenomenal. And uh, definitely check that out as well as the other shows in the network. All right. We'll see you on the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.